welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. My guest today is Todd Walker. Todd just launched a new booking agency called Outermost, and I thought it would be great to have him on the show. Todd has a ton of experience in the industry, and it was really a blast getting to know him better throughout the course of our conversation. We discussed Todd's background as an agent, his goals for his new agency, his thoughts on signing and developing new artists, working with managers, and a lot more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did, and as always, thanks for listening, everyone. Hey, Todd. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, man. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So um, let's just start off with a little background. Can you uh, tell everybody what you were doing before you launched your new agency, Outermost? Um, I can. So I've been doing this for a minute. I um, I sort of well, I started. Be- I started in like 1998, and um, I had some mutual friends. Um, or I had a mutual friend of a, a girl that I was dating, who later became my wife who was a promoter in Boston and he used to do a lot of jam bands in Boston. And he and I went out drinking one night and, you know, I was like 22, you know, 23 or something like this. And, um, and he was like, come check out what I do, you know? And it was a time in life where, you know, you have like a million different jobs. I was, you know, I was working at a, at a, uh, I was, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I just come back from Colorado from uh, kind of going to college, um, and um, and I was working at, a, like, a wine cellar, and then I was working at a bar. Um, I was working at a sandwich shop uh, in Cambridge. Um, I was doing a lot of different things, and so I went to go see what he was doing. He was promoting a lot of, like, you know, like, String Cheese Incident, Galactic, and MMW. Um and things like that, and um, and he was like, I don't know, I just, I, and I had, I used to go and see a lot of music, and so, um, yeah, and so he was kind of getting rid of a booking agent that he had, um, this 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 guy who was booking a band called The Slip, and um, and I kind of got in there and and just started kind of like from the ground up. I literally. The way that I started was was just with like a Polestar venue directory and a and a phone, you know, um, to the point where like when I was doing my first deal, I looked over and and asked them, you know, what the promoter was meant, you know, what what backline meant, you know. Um, so I literally like just kind of hustled it, and um, and I was friends with a lot of people in Boston in, in different bands, and so my first couple of bands that I signed were um, bands like Lettuce. And uh, and then they became Soul Live, um, and uh, and this reggae band called John Brown's Body, and this other kind of jam band, this kind of electronic band called The New Deal from Toronto, um, this killing jazz band from Seattle called The Living Daylights, um, and I just sort of built this roster and and just literally like started just, you know, from, from nothing. And I was also promoting a lot of shows at the time. So I was promoting a lot of reggae and hip hop shows. And so, you know, I, I did some, you know, I did like Linton Questy Johnson's only show, um, with the Dennis Bovell band in Boston. That was a big one. Um, I did all the Lee Perry, Lee Scratch Perry shows. And I later became his, his tour or his tour manager for a couple of weeks, which was 
another story and, and a crazy one. Um, but like culture, um, third world, uh, you know, Luciano, Buju, Bantan, Sizzla. Um, and this was when like reggae music was really big. And then a lot of like underground hip hop, like all the hieroglyphics and, um, De La Soul and, and things like that. So I was kind of promoting a lot of shows and then booking this little roster and kind of building that, you know, all while, you know, just hustling, you know, working at the sandwich shop and, and then I would work at the bar. And once I kind of made a little money, I, you know, I'd, I'd sort of quit one of my other jobs and, and then, yeah, so that's kind of where I started. And then I, um, and then I started like losing these bands, you know, which was really a, a bummer and, you know, to the, to the majors and stuff. And so Soul Live left and, and they went to Monterey. Um, and then, you know, I had, and then, um, I don't even remember. And then someone else went somewhere else. And so it, I, it was like this really sort of like just dark, specific day where I was like, what am I doing with myself? And I got a call from this guy, Scott Southern, um, from IMN. And he called me up out of the blue and he said, hey, listen, a friend of mine, uh, uh, I, I, we have a mutual friend, uh, a guy named Fabian Alsotani, who's an old friend of mine and used to play in this band, John Brown's Body, um, was tour managing this big tour called Africa Fet, which Scott had put together, which was like, you know, Taj Mahal and Baba Mall, and it was like this killing, killing tour. And um, Fabian was the was the road manager, and he randomly said to Scott one day, like, hey, man, if you're ever looking for a booking agent, um, you should call this guy Todd Walker. He's, like, pretty good. He's young. He's super driven. He's hungry. He really wants to get going. And uh, Scott called me up one day and was like, uh, hey, you know, Todd's is Scott Southern. Um, you know, I got your information. I was wondering if you'd like to, to do an interview. I'm, I'm, I'm hiring, uh, an East Coast agent. Scott was set up, you know, still set up in territories. And so he was looking for like a New England agent, you know? And, um, and I was like, absolutely. And so he was up in Gloucester. I was living in Brighton at the time with my girlfriend. Um, uh, and, and so I drove to Gloucester and, and took a meeting with him. And, um, you know, I was kind of loose. I, I was wearing like flip flops and, and like a t-shirt and all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, he was pretty, pretty put together and had this whole, you know, it was like a job job, you know, I, I it was kind of my first real like job job, you know? Um, and, um, and then, so, yeah, and then, so he, so he had this great interview, another great follow-up interview, and he called me this one day, which is kind of a funny story, and he was like, hey, um, we want to hire you, and, and he made me an offer, and I think he made me an offer of, like, 30 grand, 40 grand, something like this, and he was like, we want to make you an offer of, you know, whatever it was, and, uh, and, and I'd love for you to sort of sit on it and, and see if you would accept. And I accepted that second. I was like, done. Confirmed. 100%. I'm in. And he was like, great. Well, I'll see you on Monday, you know. Hung up the phone, and I bugged out. And I was like, holy shit. I, I didn't even negotiate my own deal. This guy's going to think I'm a total joke. Like, 
how can I negotiate all these deals for all these like amazing artists? And, uh, and I can't negotiate my own deal. So I called him up and I was like, Hey man, I don't want that to be a reflection on my negotiation skills. Cause, cause I, I can hustle a deal. Um, I, I just, you know, I'm really excited to work for you and all this kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, so that was like in 2000 and, um, and, and yeah, and I worked there for 12 years until 2012. Um, and it was really incredible because, you know, I had come back, I, I was like a music junkie, even living out in Colorado, you know, I, when I got kicked out of college and like went on tour with the dead for seven months, uh, you know, selling like, you know, Sam Smith's out of a cooler and just fully just lurking, just a straight hippie in, in Colorado and made a little money to like ski and smoke weed. And, uh, and so I just, I saw a lot of music and it was really one of my passions. And, um, and, uh, and the greatest thing about IMN, this was this incredible company is, you know, it was a real introduction to the performing arts, you know, and which at the time was, was, was way more, you know, traditional and kind of separate, I guess, um, I guess than the commercial world. Um, and it was this really great opportunity to, to again, learn a whole kind of world, which I had no idea about. I mean, I went to like, you know, James Taylor concerts at Tanglewood with my grandmother and stuff like that. But like, I had no real exposure to like, you know, the arts aside from, you know, my dad is a big classical music guy. Um, and he was booking some of the most incredible artists on the planet. And the greatest thing about it is that there was such a cultural importance to all those artists. So it was kind of this first time where I really learned how it wasn't just like music. It was really about the culture and really like what these artists meant to, you know, their, 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 their communities and the cultures. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, it was like, you know, the, the high point of all the Buena Vista social club, you know, and then, um, you know, booking all the big Africans, Yusin Adore and Baba and Uma Sangare and Habib Kwete and, and, and all the big Brazilians, Caetano and Gilberto Gil and, and Marisa Monte. And, um, um, yeah, it was incredible. Paco de Lucia, John McLaughlin, all the Shakti stuff. And then jazz, of course, you know, Herbie and Wayne and, Dave Holland and, and McCoy and Sco and, um, you know, Brad Meldow and, um, and everybody. So it was a real like education. I really felt like my years at, at IMN was a really great like education, you know, um, you know, and, 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 and you know, and, and Scott's a really great, um, mentor. And then, you know, I don't know if I was having like, and then I got married, had kids, bought a house up in Gloucester, all that kind of stuff that people do, um, which is amazing and lovely. Uh, but I kind of, I don't know if I was having like a midlife crisis or I was like, I just need to make a change. But I really was finding that I, that, you know, the, the, the performing arts is a really sort of like kind of it's its own little world, you know, and it's a little linear. And, you know, we, had a hard time really kind of like, you know, engaging and nurturing, uh, you know, relationships outside of that particular world, you know? So it was really hard when you would sign artists 
um, you know, to to really sort of be able to deliver, uh, you know, touring and things like this, uh, a tour strategy, you know, outside of the sort of arts, you know. Um, and I guess I just, you know, I was there for 12 years and I was kind of looking for just a change, you know. Um, and I also signed a lot of weird stuff and I, I'm a, I'm, I, I really am, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about artists and things like this. And, 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 you know, you kind of sign things as, as a team over there. And, you know, um, I didn't like anyone kind of telling me that I couldn't do something, you know? Um, but we had some great years, like, you know, I signed uh, like Nora Jones. We missed her for the U.S., but we got her for 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 Europe and and Rodrigo and Gabriella. And you know, I I, I helped them out with that ATO deal and and putting a manager team in place. And so you know, and then you know India Ari and this project that we did with this with Edan Reichel and stuff. And so you know, and Anjali Kijo. And so you know, we we had some amazing amazing. Um, wins um but yeah i had an opportunity um you know i got a bunch of offers to go other places and then i i i was like well maybe i'll do my own thing and i called up this this that tom windish that i've known for for years and and he and i kind of went tom's always had like a little bit of a toe in the in the arts um sorry for being so so verbose here uh i'm giving you like the ultra long story um, that's all right. That's all right. It makes my job a heck of a lot easier. Nice, nice. So Tom and I miss the, you know, like Tom has always kind of had a little bit of a toe in like the arts, you know. Um, there was artists like um, like Pink Martini and uh, Juana Molina and um, um, I think Jose Gonzalez at one point. Was the same. I don't know. There was a handful of artists that he and I were both kind of going after, and he would always get them in the end. And it really like was like, God damn it. So um, <laughs> yeah, so just he and I just knew each other, you know. And um, and so I called him up one day just to sort of pick his brain about like starting Windish and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I think I'm gonna start this thing on my own. And and he was like, No, don't do that. And I was like, I have other offers to go, you know, this place and that place. And and he was like, don't do that. He was like, forget that. Come work here at Windish, you know. He's like, you know how much I, you know, I I, I, I love what you do. And, you know, I, I really want to sort of, like, expand on, on the arts world. And, and this is also at a time, too, this is, like, 2012, where, like, the arts were starting to kind of, like, wake up a little bit. You know, a lot of the underwriting was gone, any of the sort of, like, you know, grants and things weren't weren't as sort of prevalent as, as they had been in the past. And also like audiences are getting sort of like older and 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 and, and a lot of programmers and, and curators and, and and presenters like, you know, really there was this real need to kind of like nurture a new audience, you know? So I really found it as like this opportunity to do twofold. A oh and then on top of that, like artists, you know, record deals were 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 kind of like not drying up, but they weren't as 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 significant as they were in years past. So, two things. Well, a number of things were happening. One, you know, artists, you know, really needed to start relying more on their you know touring plans and strategies, and you know, having a diverse plan and and kind of like navigating in and around a lot of different kind of you know. Um, 
spaces and, and, and environments and uh, series along with, you know, commercial presence was, was becoming more and more important, you know, for the artist longevity. And then presenters really needed to nurture sort of like this new audience, you know. And, and then on top of that, a lot of the artists that I was sort of working with really needed to have a little bit more of a, more of a, um, more access outside of the, the sort of performing arts, for lack of a better word. Because the arts aren't, isn't like a four-letter word anymore. Like, it's, it's fucking cool to play, you know, these really amazing spaces nowadays, you know. And obviously we're seeing this happen um, um, sort of swiftly at this point. Um, and so it was just a really great fit. And then, uh, and then my, I had like a little roster of artists that I was kind of coming over with. And literally, Mike, like everyone left. Every single one wow. was like, was like, uh, windish. What the hell is this? Like, who the hell is like, you know, major laser and who's like fantagram or who the hell is you know low and like all these like you know these indie bands that tom was was doing and this is like the business windish agency was crushing it at this point so on the commercial side of things people are like you know check out the windish agency is like you know one of the coolest agencies on the planet if not the coolest agency on the planet so i was like baffled i was like man like Maybe I jumped the gun. Maybe this was the wrong thing. So I literally, like, had to build a roster from the ground up. And that was scary as heck. And, um, yeah, and it all worked out. And, you know, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty, like, hard worker and just built a roster and, you know, signed some cool stuff and, uh, you know, Nils Fromm and Olafur Arnold and, and signed some things that I was like really passionate about, you know, and, and, and really kind of, you know, checked all of my, my boxes, um, on, on every level. And so, uh, yeah. And so we built this great little roster and, and really carved out a great identity for ourselves at Windish. And, um, and then it was, and it was awesome. And then, you know, Paradigm came and, and, and bought Windish and, um, and it was, and it just got huge. This is like 2000, I don't know, 17, something like that. And, um, yeah. And this paradigm was just too big for, for my roster. And, um, and it was awesome. It was really amazing to like work with, again, like some of the most important agents in the world and artists in the world. And, um, and, um, and it works obviously, you know, for, for many artists, but for me, it just really sort of felt like it was a little overwhelming, you know, and a lot of my artists just felt like they couldn't really get a lot of the visibility and, you know, kind of buried in these, this big roster and stuff like that. So yeah, it was a super, and it was like, it was like profoundly positive leaving paradigm. Like it was insanely positive and uh and i was kind of like hey i think i'm gonna leave and they were like cool um we're ready for you to go too and then i was at this place where i was like well maybe i'll go to another indie and whatever uh long story short after talking to lots of my artists you know um managers and artists directly and um and then a couple of different advisors and mentors and friends i just became more and more important to launch this you know so we launched this uh, agency outermost and you know like three weeks ago uh january 8 
and um and I've got this really cool team around me and yeah man we're gonna we're making a stab at it and really trying to sort of build a a, a roster that's like you know super curated and 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 really sort of focused on artists that we we truly believe in and really trying to get back to like over servicing individual artists and really seeing through tours and really focusing on on what we can do better as agents first and uh you know sort of hoping the money comes um down the road you know what i mean where does the name come from where does outermost come from oh man that was like like this is going to sound so stupid but that was literally like one of the hardest things to to have come up with like is a name you know and i had been like listen you know i'm listening to like all these different podcasts and stuff about you know startup and all the you know the gimlets and all the gimlet start you know podcasts and stuff and um and uh like and like going up into my barn and workshopping it with friends and whiteboarding it and and you know really trying to go on a vision quest and listening to all my dreams and hoping it would pop up and nothing absolutely nothing i couldn't come up with anything cool nothing you know did you want to come up with a name that's like you know that's like you know that that sort of reinforces your identity but it's not too pretentious but it is like pretentious you know what i mean not pretentious but it is like impactful and has a meaning and all this kind of shit and my our coordinator who's with us now this woman courtney who's the shit she was talking about we were like trading all these texts and stuff and she was talking about this book and there was this radio station out in Cape Cod called The Outermost. And it was like, you know, and then there was a book called The Outermost. Um, and it was about this house that was in the middle of nowhere and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and, um, and then, you know, we just started kind of workshopping that a little bit. And like, and like outermost is sort of like the furthest point from center, which is something that's a kind of, you know, a really big kind of essence of what we're trying to do is we're not trying to sort of be in center and sort of be the status quo. We are trying to sort of, you know, create ripples and we are trying to do things a little bit different and sign things that are different and like take a different kind of approach and really trying to sort of push the boundaries of like what we may be able to do as, um, you know, as an agency and how we can align ourselves and, you know, what strategic alliances we can put together and things like this. And so the outermost just felt, or outermost in general, just felt like um, a really good fit for, you know, what we're trying to achieve, you know? That's great. I, I like the name and I like the, the stories behind it, but I know what you mean by it being really difficult to come up with something oh. good because I – you know, I never wanted to name my own agency after myself. I've always hated that. And the reason that ended up being that is because I – it's a it's a long story, but basically, uh, given the circumstances, I didn't have as much time as I thought I would to kind of set up shop. <laughs> and it was kind of like, um, you know, trial by fire and diving in off the deep end really quickly, much sooner than I anticipated. And, and just needing a name, like absolutely just putting something up there. And, of course, the risk <laughs> of that is if – things progress and you know things are going all right then you suddenly you can't you know unless you want to launch a major campaign to backtrack people's awareness um kind of end up sticking with it but yeah so i I applaud you for coming up with something good like that 
Yo, I listen, I was going to call it the Walker Agency, um, but the one smart thing that I've done with this agency is really surround myself with, like, younger, cooler people, and one of my colleagues, my partner, actually, was like, I don't want you to think that you are going to call this the Walker Agency, because that's just not going to happen, and so that <laughs> but was that's actually kind only... of a cool name, too. <laughs> I thought so too. I was like, "Come on, yeah. dude, Walker, Texas Ranger, like, yeah, come Walker on, we're walking along." And yeah. I don't know, but isn't it funny that the name? And that's funny on all these like podcasts too. Is like everybody has these problems, you know? Like they're like just yeah. come up with a nebulous thing, and you know, I still have a. I'll I'll I'll, I'll put I'll post it one day. All the different names we came up with, you know, it's ridiculous. I was almost about to like get in a plane go to Peru, take ayahuasca, have a legitimate vision quest with a shaman just to come up with a name, but <laughs> luckily. Yeah, go on like a two-week silent meditation retreat. Right. you got to do. I know. Oh, yeah. I love it. Well, I have like 12 questions I want to ask you, but I don't think we're going to have Hit time it. to get to all of them. If you have to, if we have to Hit cut it this quick. short. No, we're good. In, in five minutes, which would be 30 minutes. Um, so I'll do my best here, but, and I think, uh, I, I would love to ask you all these questions. Let's just see how far we can get. So, look, I mean, I know you guys just kind of started. It was in January, and we're only in February now. But I'm kind of curious um, how what your vision is for the agency. And I always like to think in sort of three-year increments, and that's something we do internally and also with our artists, getting them to think kind of like, you know, three-year short-term visions. So I just thought I'd ask you that question. I mean, if we were having this conversation three years from now, so it's 2023, and you and your team are looking back over those years, what are what are some of the things that have to happen with your agency for you to feel happy with your progress? Yeah, that's an amazing question. And, and I also look, you know, three, five, ten years out. Um, and um, – you know, I'd say it's a funny thing. I've been tripping on happiness and what defines success, you know, just to later – because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly going through this midlife, you know. And, um, and I'd say that, like, right now, today, I'm in this place where I'm more fearful than I've ever been professionally, but I'm also more – I'm so – I am, I'm more inspired than I have ever been professionally. So it's a really funny kind of personal dichotomy. Um, and I say this first year, you know, my goals are basically establishment, you know, like to create and establish what this actually is, you know, and basically just kind of organize the chaos and continue building our roster and continue fine tuning our roster. Um, you know, and things like this, to the, the sort of like the, the dotting of the I's and the crossing of the T's is sort of my goal in the first year. But like in three years, um, you know, I expect to be surrounded by other agents that I love and that I respect um, and that want to be part of a team and, and part of an environment that, you know, inspires them, you know, and um, and um yeah, and then I also, you know, I want, you know, yes, agents and then and then my team that I have now. Like I want to like watch them grow. Like it makes me happy. Like 
the artists that they're bringing to the table, you know, and, and just the organizational stuff that they're bringing to the table is incredible. You know, I, you know, I literally could not have done this without my partner, Kelly Deasy, who's just a fucking beast of a human. She's just amazing. And, you know, Ian is a guy that I worked with for a long time and sort of he's completely changed his whole mentality and his whole just kind of motivation and um and sort of inspirations, you know. So I, I, I wanna see those guys grow, you know? Um so yeah, you know, in three years, you know, I wanna have like one of the most badass rosters that is like legitimately pushing boundaries and and you know, and 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 making some noise, you know, like we're setting out goals to be like one of the most, you know, impactful roster agencies that has been launched in the past ten or fifteen years, you know. Um, and everybody's sort of on that same trip. Like we want to be booking the dopest shit on the planet and putting together the coolest tours for artists and continuing to to build on that, you know. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously I have, I have, you know, quantitative goals and things like this, but really as far as like happiness, like if I can continue sort of like nurturing this vibe and, and build on that, then yeah, that's my, that's literally, that's my definition of, of success. But I, I, and actually even simpler than that, like if we're still around in three years, we're fucking successful. I love it. How did you and Kelly meet, or how did you and Kelly and Ian meet? Kelly was working at Monterey International and was looking for a change, and myself and my booking partner at the time, Carl Morse, were looking for a new coordinator. And um, and this is at Paris? Kelly. Yeah. That, well, no, that was actually at Windish. Oh, Windish. Um, yeah. And Kelly was just she's just a badass. She's like this woman that is like really sort of deeply ingrained in the Chicago scene. She's incredibly proud of Chicago. Her personal, I mean, I I can't speak for anyone, but one of her personal missions is really to continue sort of building the culture and the impact of, of Chicago um, artists and, you know, and, and, and the Chicago music scene, you know, it's a big deal for her. And um, I guess the thing that was so impressive with her is just her level of organization and, and, and just her people skills with, with, with everybody that she's, that she, that she connects with. I mean, she's just, she's amazing. And she was also one of these people that like, when I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life and what am I, you know, I, I just don't bear it. I'm, I'm leaving you know, do I go to this place or that place? And she was kind of one of those people that was like, let's just do this, man. Like, why don't we just do this, you know? And so literally, like, from the ground up, from, like, how do we register the business? How do we, you know, set up QuickBooks? How do we get a contracting program? How do we – all that kind of stuff, you know, she and I have been doing kind of in tandem, you know, and she's been doing a lot of the big heavy lifting. She's like, listen, you need to like raise a bunch of money and sign a bunch of acts. I'll sort of figure out a lot of the sort of nuts and bolts, you know. And then Ian was another coordinator that we had over at Windish, and he used to be Tom's 
assistant, Tom Winnish, and um, and he just he's like he's just a he's a booking he's a beast as well. He's a he like books and he knows how to like get his hands dirty and and really get into it. And I think that he's he was looking for a place to really kind of you know grow and 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 really sort of figure out what his potential might be, you know. Um, and it's really hard when you work for Windish and Paradigm where there's so many different people and it's really hard to, to move up, you know, um, as assistants and coordinators. Yeah. You know, I'm really, I'm really happy for you, man, because this is one of the most crucial things regardless of industry for starting a business is the right team. And it really sounds like you are off to the, you know, to a solid start here with, um, with Kelly and Ian and, and that's so crucial. I mean, that's like easily 90% of the battle right there. So I applaud you guys for that. That's awesome. And hopefully I'd yeah, have a chance to meet those guys in the future. You will. <laughs> you definitely will. I think the yeah. one thing that I really kind of value with with them is, um, you know, and this really happened with, with my relationship with Carl at Windish and and, um, and Paradigm, but, but more Windish, like, Carl was one of those guys that, like, he was my – he started as my assistant and quickly became an agent, and, and my – he was essential. I, I could have never pulled off anything at Winnish kind of without him. But it really was one of these great examples of, like, empowering the people around you. And, and again, I know you can't empower anybody. Empowerment comes from within. But believing in somebody and, like, I really believed in Carl. And I was like, man, you know, we can do some shit here together. We can really do some shit here together. And it made him exceed any possible goal or expectation you could have had for him. Or I think that he could have had for himself, you know. And now he's become this, like, incredible agent you know and he he didn't you know he's got a really good scene over at paradigm and and books some really really big time bands and is crushing with all the shabaka stuff and you know this band goose and 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 you know joan osborne and and um i, I he's just he, he's just a fucking legend and, and and he and he really got there because he had someone that really like believed in him you know and that's kind of my whole thing, too, is, like, you know, Scott really believed in me. Tom Windish, like, really believed in me, you know. And I really believe in, in these, these people around me here because, you know, our success is going to be based on how all of us exceed our own potential and exceed our own goals, you know, and never, ever even come close to our potential and continue setting, like, un, you know, unattainable goals, you know, for our for ourselves individually and and for having this skin in this game, you know, if this fails, it's all of us, you know what I mean? So there's a level of, of passion and there's a level of, um, there's a level of care that comes with that. And that is something that me as a leader and as a mentor now um, is really learning how important it is, you know, and I really try and stress that to other people, like just in any world, any other presenter, any other, you know, promoter, anyone else, you know, any record label, like, you know, listen to the, the young people, you know, we, we live in a world where there's too much of this silo, top-down bullshit of fucking, you know, executives and, 
you know, people under them and, and uh, aid, you know, coordinators and assistants and, you know, admins and, and, you know, that admin down there that you have never shown any respect for, that's the person right there that's going to sign something huge one day and do something that you had no clue that they had in them. And it never is possible unless they have someone that says, yo, you're the shit. Let's do this. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I had the chance, I've had the chance a couple of times now to, to meet Carl over the years. He's, he's a, he's a totally solid guy, really cool dude. And, um, I, yeah, I, I'm not at all surprised to hear you say those things about him because I was really impressed when I got to meet him and hope that at some point he and I get to work on something together because I know he's really good at what he does. Oh man. You know, one of the, he's, yeah. I've never met someone smarter. He's like so he's smarter and he's he's he like sets new precedents for what all of us need to try and sort of accomplish. So, you know, and it's a good thing. That's the thing about competition too and like, you know, what we're trying to pull off and everything is like it's it's really beautiful if you can get out of your own way and get out of your own stupid idiotic narcissism because nobody's that fucking good. You know what I mean? Like if we can be yeah. a little bit more self aware and just sort of step back from our dumbassness and say, yo, like, look at this other stuff around us. It makes us evolve. I, you know, I'm a way better guy, uh, you know, today for, for being allowed to, to be inspired by the people around you, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, like, how do you decide who to who to sign? And I always tell people I really wish I had the luxury of just Picking and choosing, right? And like any good artist is available, right? But everybody sort of has their own criteria for what they're looking for. And I guess I was curious to hear from you. I mean, how do you think about that? Like, what, are there certain things you're looking for? Is there, um, and, and you mentioned your team a few times now. Like, how, what's your approach to signing new artists for, for Outermost? I mean, you know, it totally differs from artist to artist. Um, there, I have no formula. I have no idea. I honest, quite frankly, I don't even know what the hell I'm doing really at all, you know? Um, but I know what I respond to, you know? And, and, and then, and I, and I think that once the, once you respond to something, you know, kind of, uh, you know, you know, where you get the, where you really sort of are, you feel something, you know, that's when the sort of quantitative kind of, you know, dissection comes for me is like, you know, what's the team around them? Where's, is there a record label? Is there a publicist? Is there an actual like strategy? What can I bring to the table? What do people like around it? You know, is anyone else hearing this? Is anyone else feeling this? You know, or is it just me? And let me tell you, I have signed so many bands that I thought were the freaking bees knees that like, you know, nobody gave a shit about, you know? Um, or I shouldn't sign, you know, I, you know, I, you sign things for, for many different reasons. Um, but I have also signed some things that I was like, no, I think this is incredible. This is the most incredible thing I have ever heard. And boom, they turn into, you know, something like a Nils Fromm or something like this or a Olafur or this. You Bevin or, you know, or Florida Tolawache was a band that was like kind of just bopping around, you know, and now they're like just crushing it right now, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's any kind of criteria, but I do try and 
I do try and like kind of curb myself a little bit um, and try not to kind of react to things as much as I may have in the past. You know, I'm still guilty of it. I mean, I'm thirsty, man. I'm very thirsty. So I find things that I love. Yeah, what you're saying totally resonates with me. It's There's something about, I mean, there's no other way to describe it other than, you know, quote, that feeling or does it move you or somehow this is resonating with you. And if if you start from that point, I personally, I found I have more success working with the artist than if you're approaching it from a dollar perspective or a numbers perspective or anything like that. Um, I know there's lots of agents out there, and just by nature of the larger companies you've worked for, you've probably worked with some of them, who are very successful at booking artists that they personally don't care about. And, you know, maybe it's because I've always had a sort of, you know, I've worked with a very small um, roster, but I never – I don't think I could ever do that. I could never work with an artist that I really wasn't moved by their music um, and be successful. I just, I, I'm sure at a certain level, like the money is crazy. <laughs> so yeah, you could probably be successful if you're talking about like that much money, but you know what I mean? I just, I, I do I know, know what you mean. Do I've done it, man. I mean, I've definitely, there's been a handful of artists that I've signed that I had no business doing that made a lot of money. And AI rotted me a little bit inside, you know? But I'm, I'm weird like that. Like, there's a lot of people that are really good at separating that kind of stuff, you know? And I don't know if I – maybe I'm not very good at separating that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but one quick bit on the sort of, like, um, signing process that I wanted to bring up is, um, you know, humans are, like, naturally cynical, right? You know? There's, like, there's like this comfort – there's, there's this comfort in, like, a little bit of cynicism when you're like, I love the color blue, and someone's like, well, it's not purple. Or, you know, you're like, oh, it's a, you know, beautiful day outside. Oh, I wish it wasn't going to rain later, you know. Or, you know, there's, there's like, this natural kind of cynicism to humans, you know. But if you go up to a human, and, again, I've told a lot of people, I've, I'm on this, like, trip right now. But if you go up to other, like, humans sometimes, and you're like, man, I I fucking love you or you're beautiful or man, that you look amazing today. It really makes people uncomfortable, you know, but you're kind of putting <laughs> the same effort into nurturing the positive that you just did nurturing the negative, you know? So yeah. uh, one thing that I've really embraced in signing artists. And again, this is a natural thing. This is a human thing. It's not a diss on anybody, but like, Spend as much time on trying to determine why it could work rather than spending more time on breaking down why it won't work. Because at yeah. the end of the day, you don't know shit. You know what I mean? You really don't right. know. You know what I'm saying? It's so. like the old saying, you can't possibly hit the ball if you're thinking about all the ways you're going to miss. Boom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you made that point, though. It's um, – yeah, and I think for me, too, if I have an opportunity to see a new artist live and, more importantly, see the reaction of the audience or the crowd, that's so much, much, much better of an indicator of anything about the artist than my own opinions or biases or anything like that. That, that for me, is just the most important thing imaginable. And then even have if I am you signed, an artist, yeah. Sorry, have you signed anyone that, like, 
you loved on record, but you went to see him and you were like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, for I've sure. That for sure. For sure. <laughs> and I think it's so easy to fall into that trap because everything is so accessible via record or via YouTube or whatever. Um, and it's so much easier to do that than it is to take the time to see them. And you know, let's be honest, you can't always see the act live. So no, it's like it's you're... impossible sometimes. But yeah, I reflect yeah. on things that I'm like, I'm going to see it live. And then by the time I see it live and they have an Asian already, it's the greatest thing I ever saw. I'm like, God, man, what? Yeah. I should have jumped. You know what I mean? So you never it's know. tough. Who knows? It's yeah. tough. Uh, how are we doing on time? Can I ask you a few more questions or am I keeping Yep, I got, I got 10. You got 10. Okay. One of the things I was really curious to talk about um, is tying into the world of streaming and social media and specifically, and I think I asked this question in another episode, but you're a great person to pose it to. Do you see a direct link between an artist? streaming and social media numbers and the number of tickets they sell? Is it that no. correlated Absolutely at this point? Not. Or it's no. not? Okay. It's, why or why not? It's, dude, it's – come on. It's like it's totally uncorrelated. Like, I mean, man, I've seen things that have, like, millions and millions of, you know, of of presence and, and points of impression that don't mm-hmm. sell any tickets, you know? I also have – artists that have like kind of shitty social profiles that like sell tons of tickets. You know what I mean? I, there's definitely no direct correlation, but you know, yeah, it does come into my decision-making. You know what I mean? If I see a band that like is crushing, you know, Spotify or, you know, social numbers that, you know, and, and they're like a brand new band or something like that. Yeah. That'll tip it for me a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, but, Conversely, it won't tip it for me to pass on them if they don't have those numbers, which is kind of weird. I would be so curious if I asked that question to, let's say, five promoters and five other agents. I'm like, what is the general consensus? Because in my experience, I am led to believe by presenters and promoters, it is all, it is the end all be all. Right? Like, they're looking at that, and they're making the assumption that that means more tickets will be sold, uh, promoters and, and presenters, I mean. That's just so short-sighted, though. Like, who knows how they got those friends? Who knows how long they've been on Instagram? Who knows how? Well, who knows where they are? Who knows where they are? Like, dude, you never know that kind of stuff. I mean, that's the same presenter that will tell you that dumbass shit is the same presenter that's like, well, their poll star numbers don't reflect what you're asking for. And it's like, man. Oh, that's a whole other story. Like, come on. Are you crazy? Like, people, we're missing out on something really brilliant because you're just not looking around kind of thing, you know? And not everyone reports to Polestar and stuff like that, you know? And not whatever. Sure. You know, there's a lot of different, you know. So, yeah, I mean, there's no direct correlation, but there's, there's, there's a vibe, you know? I mean, I don't know, you know, like, I'll tell you this, the artists that sell more tickets for me have more listens and likes and right. follows, you know? Right. And also it has to do with probably more, not not what are the numbers, but what are they doing with the numbers? So if they uh-huh. have those at a fair level, are they actually, do they actually know how to get very specific and target those people with ads and stuff like that? And, and right. um 
So yeah, I mean, there's probably something to be said for that too. But I'm glad I'm glad I asked you that question because I don't think I was expecting you to say that. <laughs> I'm not really sure what yeah. I think, to be honest with you. I think there's a case to be made on either side, and I think <laughs> I think you, you actually just said it. I mean, it really does depend on the artist more so than anything else. Yeah. So it's interesting though because it seems to be driving a lot of decisions these days. Yeah, I you know I, I you know I I I I think it's important for us as kind of like, you know, leaders with our artists to continue and, you know, continue sort of like enforcing the importance of building their social profiles, hands down. You know what I mean? So I have no rhyme or reason either, but I think it's, you know, obviously it's important for artists to connect. Right. Do you prefer working with artists directly as opposed to going through a manager or what's your experience been in that world? I prefer to work with a manager. All right. And why Why is that? <clears throat> because the artist is, in my opinion, an artist is supposed to make art. And the reason that they hire booking agents and managers is to help them, you know, sort of spread the word of said art, you know. Um, and managers have just more, it's, it's a buffer for for agents, in my opinion. You know, it's sort of a, you know, someone that kind of is, is there to help, you know, captain the ship and, you know, help create strategy and, and someone to sort of, you know, work with. I, I think, and then when there's disappointments, if like offers aren't what they want to see or, you know, someone pulls an offer or someone, you know, whatever, like all the stuff that happens, you know, it's kind of easier to deal with a manager than an artist. And an artist also has like unrealistic expectations. They're artists. Um, what, in your experience, what can a manager do to make your role easier? And this is a two-part question. What can they do to make your role easier? But then, where do managers fall short? Simple, like have a strategy and build it with the team around you, and execute that strategy. Shitty managers are people that just sit there, collect commissions, and book flights and expect an agent to create whatever strategy they have for an artist, you know? Managers are essential, I, in my opinion. And I think that, like, really good managers are priceless. The managers that I work with that, you know, are on it and, 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 and can roll things out and put goals together and, and create timelines for you to sort of, you know, build off of and and work from and, and get creative and have new ideas and have ideas on the fly and, you know, those managers, in my opinion, are priceless. So a great manager is a great manager, but a shitty manager is a shitty manager. Where would you say most agents fall short? Huh. I mean, that's a great question. Agents that don't, like, hustle it, you know? Agents that are kind of calling it in, you know, or... They're not in it for the right reasons. There's a lot of people I think in the in the business that want to have like a cool job, and you and I both know it's not that cool when, you know, it's from when it comes to you know putting pen to paper. You know, it's still hustling deals and all that kind of stuff. Um, oh, and actually, you know, it's honesty. You know, there's some agents that aren't really good at honesty, myself included at times. 
You know, it's hard to sort of be honest and it's hard to say that this isn't going to work or it's hard to talk about a reduction. It's hard to talk about a tour not happening or, you know, it's hard to sort of like be the, you know, the sort of messenger of disappointment, you know, but I think good agents are good at framing things well, where it doesn't seem like it's, you know, um, like the sky's falling, you know? It's such a good that's, point. That's a it's, really great question, though, Mike. I, 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 you know, we'll do this on part two and not my three-year <laughs> check-in. You bet. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Because I might have a different answer. No, you, that's a great answer. I struggle with that, too. It's really hard to tell an artist uh, no for whatever reason or, uh, you know, here's why you shouldn't do that or here's why this won't work or – or just to give honest feedback that is not what they want to hear. I, I, I do struggle yeah. with that. I'm glad you brought that up. Have you For ever sure. broken up with somebody? You mean dropped an artist or has an artist? No, like in your in your no, in, like in your personal life. Have you ever broken up with somebody? Oh, of course. Yeah. Same shit, dude. It's hard, yeah. you know. It's really and hard. And a lot of people, there's a lot of people winked to the freaking slow fades out there that will like text a breakup. That's not appropriate. It's, that's not, yeah, I can't that's, imagine. That's something that's going to leave a, but you got to have the same mentality going into it with uh with the artist too. It's like, dude, we're taking their careers in our hands. Like it's our responsibility. It's a very important responsibility, you know. And I take right. that shit super serious and super personal. So if I got to deliver some bad news, you know, you know, I, I mean, you know, I didn't not sell the tickets. You know what I mean? I didn't. To cancel the show, you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, so right. You kind of have to have a little bit of that mentality. For sure. All right, Todd. I'm not going to keep you. I think um, I think we covered a lot here, but I want you. Yeah, I want to. Th- I want to thank you for your time. Uh, you good? Yep, I'm good. Thanks so much for your time today. I might be well. Mm-hmm.